Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Fiber for Breakfast. Uh, Due to some technical difficulties, I am obviously not Gary Bolton. Uh, I am Trish Ehlers, the Vice President of Membership and Operations for uh, Fiber Broadband Association. So bear with us this morning while we make some last minute adjustments. We are now in our 33rd episode of 2022. Uh, before we kick off, I would like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast today, Graybar and Vetro. Um, on Tuesday next week, uh, we will be holding our regional Fiber Connect event at Copper Mountain on August 23rd. Based on registrations to date, we will have a record crowd for Copper Mountain. So if you haven't registered yet, please register today as you don't want to miss it. Our last regional workshop for 2022 will be in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. Again, these regional events continue to gain tremendous momentum, so please don't wait to register as they will be sold out. I'm very excited uh, for today's Fiber for Breakfast session as it is so important that we keep a focus on why we're building these fiber networks for the future. It's important to improve the quality of life for all Americans and for generations to come. Our session today will dive into one of the key applications that can improve quality of life. Today's session is Connecting All, How Digital Literacy is Critical for Mental Health with Dr. John Torres and Noy Alon from the Division of Digital Psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, a teaching hospital at Harvard Medical School. Last week, uh, we discussed an open access network in the Empire State with Mayor William A.C. of the Village of Sherburne in New York State. It's wonderful to see community leaders step up and build a fiber broadband network for a community that has been left behind. Gary, do we want to do a quick mic check for you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm back. All right. Why don't we uh, leave it where you can introduce our panelists? Let's go. All right. Thanks. And I apologize for the uh, technical difficulty today. But um, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. John Torres, uh, MD, MBI, uh, Director of Digital Psychiatry Division uh, in the Department of Psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, a Harvard Medical School affiliate teaching hospital, where he has served as the staff psychiatrist and assistant professor. Dr. Horace Torres has a background in electrical engineering and computer science and has received an undergrad degree from the field of UC Berkeley before attending medical school at UC San Diego. He's completed his psychiatry residency fellowship in clinical uh, informatics and a master's degree in biomedical informatics at Harvard. Dr. Torres is an active in investigating the potential of mobile mental health technologies for psychiatry and has published over 200 peer-reviewed articles and five books um, on the topic. He serves as editor-in-chief for JMIR Medical Health. He's the web editor for JAMA Psychiatry and currently leaves the American Psychiatric um, Association's Health IT Committee and is a senior member of the IEEE. 
Dr. Torres is joined by Noor Alan, a clinical research assistant at the Division of Digital Psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. She graduated magna cum laude and with honors from Brown University with a degree in biology. She currently leads the department's digital navigator training, digital literacy program, and app evaluation database. It's mindapps.org. She hopes to attend medical school with the goal of becoming a psychiatrist. So welcome, Dr. Torres and Noy, and please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'd like to turn it over to John and Noy. Thank you, Gary, for the introductions. Um, across the psychiatric field, we do recognize that there is this need to increase access to care, but the question is how can we do so at, within the current limits of what, what the staff can have and also to not burden um, the healthcare system with unforeseen and unpredictable costs. Um, so really this is showing, the graphic below is showing you the opportunities that digital mental health can have at both a consumer and health system level to help mediate and mitigate this access problem. So we have steps all along the way through promotion and prevention, prediction and assessment, interventions and monitoring and management disease to that digital mental health opportunities have. So as you can see, they're both um, at the consumer level in the community with social networking sites, medication and mental health apps, online peer support forums, and they're also at the health system level with different um, trainings, assessments, integration of different data systems, and, and integration of data within clinical care. So digital mental health has a lot of opportunities that can help both the access and improve quality of people's psychiatric care. And what we will focus on today, what mainly our efforts in our lab focus on is the case for mobile. So there are a lot of digital um, opportunities that don't use a smartphone device where you can think of wearables, computer access, but our lab and our efforts have really been centered around smartphone use um, for, one of, for a few reasons. The first one is people seem to have access to smartphone use. There have been several, many articles that show both the general population and those with a serious mental illness have widespread access to a smartphone, especially when you compare it to a computer or wearable electronic device. And in addition, the smartphone can capture a lot of different data streams that can be integrated into clinical care that otherwise wouldn't be able to. And there's a few examples in that graphics. So you can look at activity, cognition, mobility, a lot of different data streams that would be under, otherwise unable to access. Um, so that's why our lab mainly focuses on smartphones and the rest of this, this talk today, we'll look at how smartphone use can be used in patient psychiatric care. And we also have seen with the COVID pandemic, just as everything has gone virtual, including this webinar, um, there's been an increased use in telepsychiatry. And so this is, um, and there's been an increased efforts around looking at the safety evidence engagement in conducting telepsychiatry versus in-person traditional visits. So we're really looking at how can we transition in-person health to, to to synchronous telehealth, which increases 
the scalability and access to quality care because now you don't have to transport and physically get to um, a clinic. And then even further, we can look at how asynchronous telehealth. So we're talking about mental health apps. We're talking uh, mainly about mental health apps to see how they can maybe improve scalability and access to care even further because now you don't need to be face-to-face -face with a clinician. You can self-monitor your condition um, and, and perhaps get some feedback from the smartphone that once again will increase um, your access to care because you now have removed the, or at least segregate some of your care from the clinician. So we're seeing this new, after, especially after the COVID pandemic, when everything went virtual, we're seeing this increased interest and in research around how can we use asynchronous technologies to not only improve access to people's care, but also the quality of care that they're receiving. And this, um, so it's not, so this is showing you probably something that everyone's familiar with, which is a scam email. And so we're not, so we're not just focused on improving people's access to care and, and in a psychiatric um, condition, but it's also how do we make sure people are safe on the internet? So you get these broadband <clears throat> access, you give people internet access, we can help them with these asynchronous digital technologies help improve their help improve their quality of care, help improve maybe their understanding of their condition, but also we can help them stay safe because I think we've all received one of these emails. And if you don't have the digital literacy or the knowledge of how to use a smartphone, you might click that link and then be subject to a scam. So really we're taking <clears throat> both of these frameworks and trying to make sure that everyone has access to it. So we're looking at, okay, how can we, we know that digital mental health has opportunities to improve people's psychiatric care. And we also know that people need to stay safe on the internet when they're given broadband access. So how can we ensure that? So we wanna make sure that everyone has access um, to, these digital technologies. And we wanna make sure that everyone has the ability to use these digital technologies fully. And so that led our team to create a digital literacy program. And this digital literacy program is, is an, um, focused on, like, once again, smartphone use. Um, next slide, please. It's an eight week program that looks at how Really, you can use your smartphone to better your well-being, and we cover skills from core smartphone skills. So, really, how do you connect to Wi-Fi? To how and then we transition to how can you use your phone to better your well-being? To then going all the way up to how can you stay safe on the internet and how you can um, read an app's privacy policy, for example. So, we really built this curriculum and this program to ensure that everyone who has access to a broadband network or who has access to a smartphone knows how to use it. And then they can take advantage of the possibilities that digital mental health has to offer. So you're looking at a graph that's showing some of our participant outcomes after participation in our digital literacy program. So we, so this is a graph showing improvements in our participants' confidence. So we ask them, hey, can you connect to Wi-Fi? Can you take a photo? 
zero strongly disagree, 10 strongly agree. And you're seeing that after the participation in our program, our um, participants are learning some of these skills and they are at least feeling more confident in their abilities and facility with a smartphone. And then um, this, then this graph, we didn't just rely on their self-reports. Okay, how confident do you feel? We also tested our participants' um, skills by asking them more um, objective questions. For example, if, you, if you're shown a picture of six apps, which apps would you use to connect to Wi-Fi? And that's what this graph is showing. And once again, we're seeing that our participants are improving in these functional digital literacy skills after participation in our program. And that was really great for us to see because it's showing us that, yes, our program that was inspired to give everyone the skills and tools and knowledge to be able to use their smartphone might um, be achieving its goal. And I'll um, John, take it away. Perfect. So we'll jump to the next slide. So as, as Noi explained, we know there's a shortage of mental health care everywhere in the world, even in the US. We know that smartphones are going to be the devices that people connect to to get their mental health care going forward. They're going to be more important than computers. Having strong broadband access is going to be critically important. And again, as Noi explained, not everyone knows how to use their smartphone as a tool towards health and recovery. Related to that, our team has created a role called a digital navigator. The idea of a digital navigator, it's someone that can be a new member of the clinical team that can help both clinicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, and patients both work together to use technology. So that digital navigator is someone that can help with technology setup, they can help find the right apps, they can help preview data. The digital navigator is kind of like the human glue that really gets what you guys are doing, the great work on getting from broadband, the digital navigator kind of now helps people use that in a healthcare context for both clinician support and patient support. So we actually have mapped out this digital navigator training in a pretty thorough way. We've published a curriculum, there's learning objectives, there's skills, there's check-ins, and we've actually been offering this teaching at different sites around the country. It's been very successful. We've worked with veteran groups. We've worked with community mental health center groups. We've worked with clinician groups. We've worked with youth groups. But the idea, right, is what if, again, in addition to having broadband for everyone, we had this kind of workforce of these new digital navigators that could really take that broadband and help people understand how to use it for healthcare, especially for increasing access to mental health. So again, these are different systems that we've worked with or partnered with and kind of doing digital navigator training, again, equipping these new members of the care team to really take the power of mobile health, of digital psychiatry through broadband and really bring it into clinical practice. And to give you one idea of how Noi and I are actually using this as part of routine care for people today, we have what we call a digital clinic at our hospital in the Harvard Medical School system where we see people via screen face-to-face, -face. but then what happens is a digital navigator, as we just talked about, actually works with people and says, let me take the smartphone app that your team has developed, MindLamp, and let's actually figure out what type of sensors we may want to understand from you this week about your health. And maybe we want to monitor sleep, maybe we want to monitor steps, maybe we want to monitor screen time, what surveys do we want, and what activities do we want you doing on an app? Do we want you doing mindfulness, CBT, extra things? So the point of slide is, 
we can offer video visits. Again, clearly that's kind of what we all know about. We've all heard of video visits. We've all probably had them with our different doctors. But I think what becomes exciting is how do we begin to use right the mobile health, the smartphones, to really begin to capture new data, as Roy said, about sensors, about behaviors, really understand how sleep impacts mental health, really understand the mind-body connection, and then have digital navigators support that. And as you can see, this is something that is certainly very fiber-heavy, right? We, we need real-time video visits, we need real-time data capture from smartphones, we need data transfer, we need this working in rural areas, urban areas as well. So in some ways, it's a new paradigm of mental health, because it's not just you have a visit and you come back, it's you still have a visit, but a digital navigator really builds you a very robust digital plan that you use to augment and extend and complement your health, and you collect new types of data that we really cannot understand before in behavioral health. So we think this is a, a really a model that can help increase access to mental health because of, again, all of the terrific work that you all are doing. And so again, if we just dive into what that clinically relevant data is, what makes the smartphone so exciting, and perhaps what makes, again, our work so broadband heavy, is right with permission and appropriate ethical safeguards, think of all of the relevant information to behavioral health, to psychiatric disorders that you now can have your doctor understand, right? If he, it's not only just what am I feeling, the symptoms, but it may be in what context those symptoms happen, what environment, how does sleep impact my mental health, how does mobility patterns, how does step count and exercise. So really what you can imagine is this is, again, a whole new way to understand mental health, to really bring the environment and context in and let kind of doctors and clinicians personalize treatment with new data. It's very rare we get new innovations in mental health, but using smartphones like this is certainly one of them. So I think related, what we do on a research sphere, and again, is we take all these new data streams that we just talked about, and we actually can, for each person, look at when compared to your own baseline. So if I was in this, it would be, when is John's digital data around cognition, mobility, screen time, sleep duration, surveys, when is it different than John's baselines? And the point is, you can see from the picture, we can actually begin to build personal models of when someone may need more help, when they may be at risk of relapse, when we want to reach out early with this digital data. And again, that's something you can never do on paper and pencil. You can't even do a synchronous telehealth visit, right? What we're doing now when we're kind of talking to each other via computer, you really need this kind of real-time digital monitoring. And again, to do this real-time digital monitoring, we need to have really robust networks. So you can imagine what Noah and I presented is we can see a path toward personalized mental health. We can see a path toward preventative mental health, we can see a path towards these smartphones everyone have offering mental health services, but it all rests upon having terrific access to, to internet and to broadband. So our, our call to action is again, we're, we're a small team, we're a busy team based out of Harvard Medical School. If you'd like to support our research, if you'd like to partner with us, if you'd like to learn how you can help again on any of these efforts of increasing access to mental health, that's our webpage and that's the email of Noi and I. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks, John, Noi, this is really interesting stuff. So like this take veterans, for example, um, by monitoring you know, their phone, you're able to be able to tell if, if someone's at risk, you, know, if they're look, you can look at their patterns and see that maybe they're not going out, maybe they're staying home or something that alerts you that you better engage them and, 
Exactly, Gary. And again, we know intuitively, right? Mental illnesses are complex phenomena. Many people in the world experience them, at least one in four. And again, there's certainly feelings we all have, there's symptoms, but there's related behaviors to it too, right? Anyone who has cared for someone with depression or may have depression themselves know it impacts all aspects of your lives. And the phone may give us, again, that extra clue to it. And certainly if we have the privilege of collecting such sensitive data, we have to be good stewards of it. We have to use it in ethical, responsible ways. But you can imagine if we can send that data directly to your trusted mental health provider and they can have early insights into you, understanding the related behaviors to have illness is really transformative for helping us understand and pre prevent negative outcomes in mental health. Yeah, I mean, I, I had read a book um, that talked about, you know, there was a certain um, hospital that was getting better outcomes than other hospitals. And so when they did the deep dive, they found out that the difference was the doctors in the hospitals were asking the same questions, but asking them differently and getting better responses from the patients. Because you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, you've been taking medicine. Oh yeah, of course I have. And, and, and then you've, if you ask it differently, you find out, no, they're not taking their medicine. You find out why, because of different reasons. And so it seems like that you'll be able to have much better data that can tell you what's going on. It provides feedback, right, to the patients? Exactly. In some ways, this is a tool to bring measurement-based care at scale to mental health. And again, just like you guys in your industry rely on data to guide you what to do, this is saying, hey, if we have this remarkable new data for mental health, we're going to use it to be able to make better decisions and care for people. And right now, as you said, the way we capture data can be inconsistent. It may be only once a month. It may be more infrequently. Right now, we're saying we could be having data coming in near real time. So it certainly is, when I say a paradigm shift, right, this is nothing that they teach us in medical school. It really does kind of take rethinking how a clinical visit works, what, what a, your doctor can do with it. But you can imagine if the goal is to increase access to care and help people get better, how could we say no to important new data? Well, like even if I look at like my primary care, you know, if I want to ask a question, I have to call the office and then leave a message, a nurse calls me back, you know, so there's all these steps between me and the actual doctor where I have a doctor at Vanderbilt and there's an app and I just type my questions in and she responds personally, right? So I can be able to get, and so, I, I can tell you, I ask a whole lot more questions of my Vanderbilt doctor than I do my primary because, you know, the fact that I could just type in a quick question. So yeah. is that one of the, uh, the benefits is to have more personal um, connection with your doctor, be doctor and patient? Or? Exactly. And I, I think, imagine too, if you didn't have to message them, if they actually reached out to you because they said, hey, Gary, we've noticed that you've been exercising less and you're reporting your mood is low down. What, what's going on, right? So, so you could again move towards preventative services, which again really is what we have to do to change the needle on mental health. If we look at how we kind of reduce mortality from heart attacks in this country, we focused on preventative cardiology, right? On, on healthy habits, we've reached out to people. And again, a lot of emergency, mental health services are emergency-based, right? You, you kind of interact with the system at, when you're feeling your worst. And so just imagine what a fascinating dashboard your clinician could have to really say, we're gonna personalize care to you. If we start a medicine, we're gonna really understand how it's working for you when we can increase and equally decrease the dose, right? It's, and again, 
we, we can do this in the right way, we can definitely do it in a safe, ethical way. But again, I think you guys have become indirect partners in healthcare because you really need, again, a robust network to kind of talk about this type of data capture and collection, right? This is not just sending an email. This could be, right, sending, again, every hour for intense monitoring, step count. Really, we need to cover people, of course, in rural areas where there's less access to healthcare. That's where we need the most potential to do it. So I think that the progress you guys have made in the last years has just been amazing. And I think it really has enabled this type of work, right, for digital mental health to really become a thing because the infrastructure is there to support it. So this may be kind of what one of the services that lives on top of the infrastructure and the fiber that you guys are, are laying. No, I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, mental health, you know, is not just some small part of the population, right? It's everybody now with the pandemic and work from home and, you know, just the isolation that everybody's been through. Yeah. And exactly, because it's just so prevalent, I think the current stats are at least one in four Americans may be taking an antidepressant medicine. So again, if, if, if you're listening, if you don't have a mental disorder, you likely know someone or you're caring for someone with it, I think that just points to that we really need new scalable solutions that technology can offer. I think one thing we have to emphasize is Noi and I are not saying technology will replace human supporting care. That that's not at all the message, just that we can again be preventative, we can personalize care, we can augment it, we, we can expand access to it. And I think there's no one in the world that says we do not want tools that help us expand access to mental health. We, we don't want to, as Noi started out, decrease the quality. You do not have to talk to a chatbot for mental health. It, it's you're still can work with a person, but why not give your clinician all that new data? Why not give yourself all that new insights into what's happening? Well, John and Noi, um, this is fascinating stuff and really greatly appreciate all the amazing work that you're doing and your team's doing on digital literacy and mental health. Um, you know, I look forward to seeing your continued progress in this area, so I'll definitely be keeping staying in tune and hopefully our members can um, take a call to action and, and you know, start as we have SISPs all over the country that they can help to um, pass the good word of, you know, how to take advantage of your programs. Um, so I want to thank everybody for joining us today and look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing Rockdown Electric Avenue with the electric utilities and their roles in broadband expansion with Scott Pell from FiberRise as he discussed the flexibility of fiber broadband as a utility and how power companies play a major part in the continued deployment of fiber across the country. Uh, with that, well, I will see you guys next week. Thanks, John Noy, and um, hope you guys have a great rest of your summer.